Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, Tori Gates. Set in Pennsylvania, Bountiful Calling is a novel that brings interest in conflict on a timely topic, natural gas drilling, and the extraction practice known as fracking. Fred Burton is the author of three books, and he joins us today from his home in Baltimore. Welcome, Fred. Hi, how are you doing, Tori? Doing fine. I appreciate you uh, being on today. Uh, well, yeah, and thank you. I really appreciate this opportunity. It's great. Thank you very much. Well, let's uh, just get started with this book and its timely nature. Um, from the first pages, I was hit immediately by our protagonist, Joe, and the character. I'm going to ask you a little about him. Um it's sort of this interesting beginning as uh, you find some formative things about him. He's an assistant for a powerful state senator. Tell us about Joe and how you formed him. Yeah, Joe is a, you know, is the character really the only character that runs throughout the book, and he um, he goes through some changes in the course of the book. In, in the beginning, you know, he's happy to be an assistant and does his work and. Um, uh, enjoys the the general experience of being in the state house in Harrisburg, but as the plot develops, he's caused he has caused to experience things that that have, that, have, that he shielded himself from, and he he grows as a result. He great he develops a moral core and and senses some aspects of his own life that he didn't really wasn't in touch with before the book starts. So, so he's a, he's a, a good gauge for the continuity of the book as you go, as you're reading through it. What about Joe's position makes him work for the story or as, as you were forming it? What, what just made you feel like this one, this spot here? Well, I wanted someone who was inside the state government, someone who, you know, was trying to see the benefits of fracking through the eyes of, you know, business and political leaders. And I think there's, there's valid arguments, you know, in, in you know, valid points of view that need to be represented. And, and no, no discussion is complete without it. I mean, Joe was very useful for me because it, because it allowed me to not avoid writing a polemic, something that was strictly anti-fracking, and so, so he was the, you know, the, the, the sounding board for a lot of the, you know, the anti-fracking material that came that comes out in the book also, and I think that that's been very powerful to have, you know, different points of view and, um, you know, and and watch his development and growth and how he internalizes, you know, the realities, the, the harm that fracking is doing as well as 
understanding the arguments that you know his his mentors and leaders were 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 trying to push as well. So so he's a very complicated character and and he's very talented at what he does and he but he's also forced to to look at things more deeply than really he's comfortable with but it, but he grows as a result of that. Yeah, it was very interesting because I loved the well without giving it all away of course, but the sure. the flashback of him as a as a as a boy being exposed to uh, some of those sort of like symbols of power or symbols of public service, the capital and that kind of thing. And that kind of thing certainly had has um, a really telling impression. And he struck me as sort of that young fellow who goes into public service and he wants to help people. He wants to he, – he's one of those – to borrow Jimmy Buffett, saving the world on his own kind of guys. And like you say, he kind of not so much gets jaded, but there's a certain point where he is starting to really feel his own internal conflict, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that nails it. I mean, he's, he is taken with, you know, in that early, that first chapter that you're just, you're, you're referencing with the grandeur, with the, the potential, the, you know the power and the and you know, what 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 and what's possible in government and that changes his life. You know he that's he, those are his marching papers and he he tries to he tries to stay true to that and 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 does by and large. But there's certainly you know bumps along the way for him and and that's where the I think the good the potential for powerful writing occurs and and you know those conflicts are the things that really for me, drive the story, and uh, I think are the most interesting parts of the story. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of the characters that are working with him, um, it's also I love the uh, sort of the opposing force is his boss, Senator Bain. I found the senator a really interesting guy in that he understands the levers of power, but he has this thing to try to use them a little differently. Um, the the counterpoint there was really interesting, and in the interactions those these two fellows have. Yeah, I mean he he's he's a he. I certainly tried to make him a more complex character than one would think in the beginning. He seems sort of a, of a caricature, but but he really comes mm-hmm. into a full fullness, and 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 there's real paradoxes in his position. He knows what's expected of him and that he, he also has dreams of something better too. And, and there's, there's that inner dynamic that, you know, continues to play out up until the last page and, uh, and nothing, and it, it just reinforces the notion that there really aren't easy answers. There's just, you know, an attempt to, to, to not only embrace what you believe, but to understand opposing points of view and to be you know, empathetic and sympathetic to what, what those people drive those people and, and why they they come to the conclusions that they have. And there there was an effort I could tell to try to make most of these characters as um you know, as complex or to give them more 
uh, levels to their character. You know, it's it's one of the things I try to do in my own writing is I try to give my characters a purpose for being there. They have a reason for the story. You know, they have a reason for their part in it, even if you don't see very much of them. And I could see that with some of the fellow politicians, uh, Senator Walk, uh, Senator DeSanto. There's this sort of attitude. You're, you're sort of showing the different shades of attitude in politics, especially politics at like a state level. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's not straightforward and answers are not clear and, and simple. You know, that there are different constituencies, constituencies that need to be considered. And, and again, that's, you know, that's where, you know, you, as, as a you know, writer of fiction, you can bring these out. You can, you have the opportunity to ask questions that are not often asked in you know, normal dialogue, and 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 that's that's really what I tried to do. You know, throughout, and some of the themes that I carry through are not themes that you know are normal in this in this narrative or this you know, around these topics, but I think deserve to be asked and and, and considered. Now, how close were you to the politics of Harrisburg? Um, you obviously was able, you were able to, uh, through your work, see some different uh, shades of these folks. And tell us a little bit about your work in Harrisburg and that sort of thing, because this is where you were born. Tell me about that. Right, right. Um, I, yeah, um, my, my main, I was involved in the anti-fracking movement. I was a member of a, of, of a group that, that organized um, uh, rallies in Harrisburg. And those were really formative for me um, because uh, people from the affected areas in Marcellus Shale area uh, region came down and, and spoke. And, and, you know, it was clear why they felt, um, you know, uh, why they felt like they were collateral damage and their communities were sacrifice zones. Um, you know, they, they spoke of, you know, bursts of, of disease that they attributed to, to, to um, fracking, you know, wells going bad, you know, just the general degradation of the infrastructure and the land and, and the environment. And, and they didn't really feel like they were being listened to or, you know, their concerns were being met. Um, so they were, that was very powerful to hear those people and to speak with them. And, and I'd say that was the biggest motivation I had for writing the book. And on the other hand, you had, you know, political leaders who were touting um, uh, you know the jobs that it would bring to these communities, and the the wealth it would bring into these communities that were experiencing a lot of poverty. You know, and finally, you know, there was also this call to um, uh, uh, patriotism because it would help make our country uh, energy independent. So, so there's a lot of dynamic interaction going on around fracking. Uh, around the time of, of my involvement with this group. And I, and I realized I just really wanted to, to write about it. I really wanted to try to, to speak to those issues, but also to speak to other more comp, complex issues, some societal issues, you know, the nature of change. What does, you know, what does change look like? You know, how, how does mm -hmm. fundamental change occur? And, and trying to give that in a powerful way by the end of the novel. So there were a lot of, those are the main forces that I was aware of and, and yeah and, and when I was writing it or those are the things that really spurred me to write it 
Right. Now, um, moving along to, um, I, I wouldn't doubt that some of uh, your characters were influenced by the, po- the folks that you saw and you worked with. The lady who comes into Joe's life, Nicole, really interesting, uh, her background. Tell us a little bit about her. Yeah, Nicole's a, you know, a, a, a great, I mean, I, I really feel strongly and like her character a lot. I mean, she, a, a tragedy occurs in her, okay, um, her family owns a, uh, a resort in the uh, Loyal Sox State Forest area, and she's the grown daughter of, of the couple who own it. And, um, Without getting into a lot of detail or any detail, um, a tragedy occurs on their property uh, related to fracking, and um, mm-hmm. and she's involved with Joe, as you said. And but but this tragedy launches her in a you know pretty wild and interesting um, direction. I mean, she encounters you know she 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 comes in contact with. Um, and joins a group that is, you know, involved in civil civil disobedience. You know, she, on a a spiritual level, she, she takes part in pagan rituals that, you know, around, you know, around campfires and and festivals and, um, uh, and, and and it, it it culminates in a, in a, in a CNN interview that she, she lands that, you know, just goes off the rails because, and and but and that she pushes she pushes her her feelings and and topics and so so she's she's the counter to to Joe Joe's the steady one the one trying to make sense of things and she's the one trying to push limits and and their interaction is really the spark of a lot of the the energy of the book and you know trying to convey that. Their the dynamic of the two of them is is was really um, something that uh, you know I enjoyed doing and, and and gave me a lot of insight and you know and um, powerful experience. Well, interesting thing was the the place you talk about. Of course, I've lived in Harrisburg for only a few years, but I know the area you're talking about and. In Pennsylvania, you don't have to travel too far off the beaten trail to get to some of the areas, and um, I think that kind of brings me back to a question I wanted to ask. Um, as you were born in Harrisburg, how easy was it to write about your hometown? Well, yeah, let me just clarify that. I was actually born in Queens, New York, and, and I've well, I'm I lived sorry. in Harrisburg. I, I, you yeah, did tell I me that. I should have remembered. <laughs> yeah, no problem, no problem. But And I lived in Harrisburg for 25 years, so... So I, I felt like I had a you know a good grasp of of that location and and my wife actually is from the Pocono Mountains and some of the <laughs> some of what I trans transported from I, I some some of it was some of what happened in the Loyal Sock I actually experienced more in the Poconos but they're not that far away and uh, I, I you know you get you have a writer's uh, you get a, a break for doing that in in in, in this sort of uh, venue. So so that was the the way I was able to construct and and bring those two areas um, to life. I think. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the thing. Knowledge of the area is certainly that, and um, there was there was good detail as well because it was like like for example when when 
Nicole takes Joe out of the city, and it's like all of a sudden it's almost like you've landed on another planet. But really, all she, all they've gone is a short distance, and you're in rural Pennsylvania again. And that's that's one of the the beauties of the state, I think. Because I mean, I grew up in Vermont, so I grew up in a very rural area, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and same kind of thing. It was like, you know, here we are. Here I am sitting in the inner city, and I don't have too far to go. And suddenly, it feels like you're back in the country, and it's uh, it's a charm thing, but it's also best that you know a little bit about it when you're when you're describing, right? Exactly. Yeah, I mean, no doubt. You know, and I think that I, that was really important to me to describe the the beauty and the culture of that area as clearly as I could, um, mm-hmm. and and because because it was in, it's endangered. You know, I mean, that's really what you know. You need to know why something is sacred you know what what or what about it is sacred what about it deserves you know preserving or at least having some reciprocal relationship with instead of just yes extraction you know so 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 giving those details that you're describing set that groundwork for the you know the trauma and the you know the attempts at union you know by the end of the book mm-hmm and you know, you, you and then I was. It's further down in the book, of course, but um, you very dramatically talked about um, sort of like a native ritual. And, and I'm I'm from the pagan community, so I knew exactly what you were uh, talking about. I have played. I have performed. I have I have played at such rituals. I played music at them, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they are an incredible. Uh, experience if if no one has ever even just been to one and the thing that I knew from growing up on a, growing up on a farm and you are reminded of this every so often is that you know kind of tenants on this land we don't own it and there's a feeling of that connection and I think you brought that out through Nicole especially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great, I, I love hearing that comment because that's certainly one of the main themes that I was working towards and and. Um, you know, uh, trying to portray, um, you know, doing that, that's, that scene is, is, is a, you know, certainly it's a little rough, you know, and I've lost some people, <laughs> some people as they're not, not ter- totally, but some people have been turned off by it. And I understand that. But for me, it was, I really, I really wanted to find some way to, to give this young woman and, and young people in general something that was not sanctioned by, you know, boomers and, you know, older generation that was theirs, you know, that was not only yes. theirs, but it was also, it also tied them to some ancient wisdom. And, and, and mm-hmm. so I knew about this and I thought, yeah, I, this is, this works. This, this fulfills that, those requirements. And, uh, and so that's what drove me to, to write about it. And, and, and like you say, it, it you know, it, it was difficult and I knew that, you know, that it would, be difficult for some people to read, but, you know, but to not do it for that reason is, is wrong. You know, it would introduce something false to the, to the narrative and that has far worse consequences. So, so you just keep pushing forward and, 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 and be as true to it as you can. Mm -hmm. Now, one thing that, that potential readers must know, considering the emotional issue of fracking and, 
the what we've talked about uh you did present very much both sides to the story regarding the potential benefits of of natural gas drilling and then also the concerns of where does this lead what is it doing to the environment and it's just from a reporter's point of view listening to both sides myself and trying to write stories about it and trying to be as as straight and as fair as i can be it's very interesting. It's. Did you ever feel like you had your foot in both camps for at least the learning of it? Um, and how did that feel emotionally at times? Yeah. That, uh, thanks for asking that again. Also, I mean, that's that's something that I think is so important. You know, uh, to, to answer your question, yes, absolutely. You know, I felt that you know that dichotomy, and I feel like that's the. That's what I try to do when I'm writing fiction. I, I try to distance myself as much as possible from the action and just let it drive me, you know, drive me to, to, to proceed with it. You know, you look for that point in the book where it's making its demands on you, and then you're just a conduit for its action. And those are really the most exciting, exhilarating times as a writer because because you, it's giving back to you more than you're putting into it. And so you just ride with it. And, and so, yes, it was very important to me to, to not intercede, not, not let my points of view, my, what I think, be, be present or, or, or not terribly present, because I wanted these characters to live. I wanted, I wanted the reader to be somewhat alienated distance, because there's a lot of different things going on, a lot of different points of view, a lot of different ideas and emotions. And I want the reader to to be in the middle of all that, you know, just residing in the middle of that, hearing it, reading it, learning from it, experiencing it, and and you know, and and deciding not only what what it brings true for them, but also appreciating other points of view, which is really sorely lacking in our you know our culture these days that are so you know, that are that are so polarized. And that is that is an unfortunate reality that we're dealing with right now, and. Um, I guess it ties into something that I noticed from at least one or two of the characters. Um, there was just this sort of, um, well, it was a very human thing where certain characters just seemed more interested in their power or in what they were, what they believed and greater good was thrown out the window. And it's like that polarization is human. It, it shows how incredibly human we all are. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, the, the you know, there were certain factions, you know, the, I mean, you know, the lobbyists or the consultants, as I described them, they, they, they were certainly motivated by their own, by their own, um, bettering their own situation and, and, and finding all the way, all different ways to justify that. And, uh, and, and, and you saw how really hollow that was, you know, um, but you know they certainly wield considerable power, and you know are are forces to be dealt with. Mm-hmm. Now, the way you were discussing um, letting this book sort of write itself and sort of letting it come through you leads me into uh, your writing style and all of that. And we have to go back to really the beginning of your history. Tell us about you know growing up in Queens, New York. Tell us about the formative years and what you were reading and that sort of thing. Sure. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Queens was a, yeah, an interesting place, sort of magical place at times. You know, um, you know, my teen years, I was involved with a 
different groups of people that were very different and um, in, influential. Uh, you know, I had one core group of friends who were pretty stable and they were a good, good people and they were ones I probably were had more, most contact with. But then I, you know, I, I <laughs> it was actually a physical train tracks that ran across the 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 avenue and life extended in both mm -hmm. directions from that Jamaica Avenue in Queens and I was one of the few people who walked under the trestle and and or or the and 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 embraced the the culture on the other side which was you know people of color and and um, and so that was I I would walk under this 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 strange um, bridge or, uh, you know, over, over, overhang. And I could feel a change, you know, in, in both hmm. going from one world to the other. And that was a um, very powerful experience. And I want to thank those friends who helped me navigate that. And then I, and then mm -hmm. I also, in, in my high school years, I became friendly with my high school English teacher. I mean, we, she had a, an apartment in Manhattan and, and I'd visit them and we, they, take me to hear jazz concerts and uh, that was blew my mind you know what I mean for, you know for a kid who uh, you know who was pretty you know this was a white working class neighborhood I was in so so there were a lot of interesting swirling dynamics going on and uh, I think as a for a writer that's certainly a powerful you know thing to be in the middle of I mean it, it's this it's it's also can weigh heavy on you and can be have caused some difficulties. But overall, I would not. I, I felt like it was really powerful, really positive, and um, and, and and yeah, life affirming. You know. Um, now, and, and the, this teacher. Go, ahead, yeah. go go on. Go on. No, no. If you want to ask about the teacher, that's fine. Yeah. I did. I want to ask, like, what was this the teacher that helped um, push you towards writing, encouraged it? And what kind of from from these different folks, what kind of um, books, music, culture were you exposed to? What what wouldn't you have gotten if you'd stayed on your your side, as it were? Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. I mean, she certainly pushed pushed me and, uh, you know, was a real influence. Her her husband was a budding novelist. So we were friends as well. And um mm -hmm. Uh, you know, and, and I mean, for me, the first book that really captured my imagination is the one that most, you know, a lot of kids from that era, you know, Catcher in the Rye was, was mm -hmm. certainly powerful, um, you know, but uh, I mean, it was very powerful. You know, it was very instructive for me. And, um, you know, but she introduced me to, you know, um, you know, Joseph Heller's Catch-22. You know, I can, I can remember reading that on a bus in Queens when I was about 16 or so and yeah. just falling down and laughing when I was reading about how Milo, I think it was, was buying eggs for 10 cents, selling them for five and making a profit. And I just was, you know, blown away by that. You know, I mean, it was, uh, and then, well, the book itself and then that scene, that remembrance is strong. I mean, but she, you know, she introduced me to a number of writers, you know, Camus, um, uh, Gunter Grass is probably through my throughout my life the most powerful, you know, the, most, the writer who who I um, admire the most. Um, you know, Dostoevsky, you know, uh, uh, um, Faulkner, and 
you know, and those are those are all you know hugely important um, writers for me. At, you know, as I was growing up, as in my teen years, teens and early twenties. Well, that's interesting because then it's like a lot of what we read early on shapes. I think a little of what we're going to end up doing. When did you start to consider writing your own stories or, or attempt to? Yeah. I mean, I always wanted to write. I mean, since, since those, since the freshman in high school, I guess, and, and, you know, and I, there were, there were stories at the early on. And then, and then in college, I was an English major and withdrew in my uh, junior year, I think, and, and, and wrote a novel, um, which I I feel really really good about. I mean, it was um, very it really helped me in ways that I didn't realize for years afterwards. Um, and I never got it published back then. And um, but uh, it was I have no regrets about having spent those years doing that and um, and see the value that it has for me had mm-hmm. for me in you know for the rest of my I- life really. Um, I, and I then, have one of those. Yeah, <laughs> right, right, for sure. And, and then I, um, I met I met the woman who became my wife, and uh, you know we decided to have a family. And I realized that you know I needed to, uh, you know, that I wasn't going to make a living by writing novels. I, I decided so. So you know I got into IT work, and you know I have no regrets about that. I worked with a lot of wonderful people, and we did good work. And but then when my Sons became teenagers. I, you know, went back to 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 writing my 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 first love, and uh, you know that's when I've you know started my first novel. My the first novel I published after that was uh, the old songs, which is about queens in the fifties and sixties. And um, oh wow! And then yeah, and then that was followed by um, Bountiful Calling. Mm-hmm. And, and now, I'm writing, tell us a I'm writing bit... another book now. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about the old songs. What was what was that about, and what was it? This music that you were exposed to, or just being in Queens? What what really uh, brought that one in? Yeah, um, the the old songs is 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 about life in in the fifties mostly, I guess. You know, which was a you know time of you know things were pretty nailed down. You know, there wasn't a lot of you know flexibility in how you could behave and and um you know I portray that and 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 but I what I really am after is the fact that it's really really hard to maintain the level of control that those people wanted in their lives and mm-hmm. and you know and uh, the way that that is made given form is you know is you know they 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 behave badly, some of them, you know, and, and, and they don't even know that they're behaving badly, but they, they do, you know, and, and that has repercussions and, and, you know, and they come to understand what's, what happened, why, what, what, what pain was caused. And, um, and, and the, the opportunity for forgiveness and, and, and uh, empathy are, are made possible. And, and, and that's, uh, you know, even for people who really aren't made to experience those things, because they 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 shun that level of introspection. So that's where the magic of the old songs is is in that recognition, is in that possibility, that possibility for change, 
and, and, and redemption, you know? And so, so that's what the old song is primarily about. But the, song, the, the, the reference to the old songs is, you know, in the early part of the book, you, you um, experience a family gathering and, this, and there's some friction, some inciting, some, some you know, some in, petty problems, and they're undone mm -hmm. by the singing of songs. That's how they manage, that's how they, that's what brings them together. So there's that really uh -huh. strong, rich sense of, of, of what music, what, what the sharing of, of, of songs can be. Then later in the book, as time goes on, they sing in a restaurant, which is what they did. That's how they, that's what they did in, in the 50s. Mm -hmm. But it became clear that the world had passed them by. You know, that was no longer an acceptable form of thing to do. And, and it was dislocating and, and alienating for some of the characters. And, and, and then at the very end, there's the coming together of the larger group for probably the last time. And, and songs are again sung. And mm -hmm. it's a way to, to undo, you know, strong feelings of hurt and alienation. And so, so there's this, again, like you were talking about the balance of calling, there's this, these incredibly strong, powerful experiences and emotions that are ricocheting around. And, and you, as the reader, are set in the middle of them and to understand that complexity and, of mm -hmm. experience. And that's and the power of music is something that, that just runs through all of my books because that's always been right. a big influence for me. And yeah, it, it, it's it just sounds like a really intriguing novel. And it's like there's obviously so much in your background that makes it that makes it just feel really vivid, which I think is pretty awesome. Um, wanted to ask you back towards Bountiful Calling a little bit. There has been a rise in recent years in a genre, and I can't stand all the genre names personally, but <laughs> sort of a rise in environmental fiction. As sometimes uh, we um, here at uh, the publisher, they sometimes call it cli-fi or climate fiction. Um, have you read any of this in, the, in this sort of subgenre, and what do you think of it? Does it bother you to be sort of maybe lumped into that by some? Well, well the one well, I've, I've actually read some of this now. Yeah, I mean, the one book that comes to mind immediately when you talk about that is uh, the Overstory by Richard Powers, which mm -hmm. is an extraordinary book. You know, um, uh, I, I would like to think that Bountiful Kit Calling. Um, share some of the same qualities, but as it won the Pulitzer Prize, I'll let others make that comparison. Um, but it's it's a powerful book about environmentalism in the Pacific Northwest, and uh, and it shows what again how you can ask questions that through fiction and that don't find their way into um, normal dialogue, normal conversation. That's one of its many virtues. And, um, you know, and then there's another book, I don't know if it's exactly environmental fiction, but uh, um, it's called Mean Spirit by Linda Hogan, who is a Native American, talking about their, the experience of Native Americans in Oklahoma and how they were pushed off the land because of oil. And that, again, is a super and powerful book. So, so yeah, there's 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 uh, opportunities here because 
because you know you, you sort of weave your experience into your fiction, and that's what's going on right now. You know, that's sort of a key concern. You know, for people are realizing that that connection is is, is severed. <laughs> so we need to find mm-hmm. our way back to to some sort of relationship and some sort of you know some sort of um, you know relationship where we're giving and taking instead of just taking. Exactly, exactly. Um, also, tell me a little bit about your uh, publisher, Bancroft Press. Uh, tell us, tell us what they're about and uh, what they've, uh, how you came in touch with them. Sure. Yeah, yeah. They're they're a small indie press, and they write. They they. I can't remember the exact. Um, yeah, you know, logo that he has uh, the, the publisher, but it's something like, you know, I, 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 I publish books. We publish books that that we love, or something like that. You know, they they only publish a small <laughs> number of books, and um, they have to feel really committed to them. And uh, and it was a you know lengthy process for me in getting it to to the point where it was. Um, you know, ready for publication, you know, in their eyes. And that was, that was fine. You know, I, I didn't mind going back to Bountiful Calling after each edit, round of edits, because I, there was very few things I enjoyed more, doing more, you know, I mean, it was just like, I really enjoyed the book. I enjoyed almost the entire process of, of, uh, you know, from, from the earliest drafts to the re- refining of, of character and flow and, Narrative. I mean, it was it was life affirming in so many ways, but but, yeah. but so about you know so so they are committed to, re- to to publishing books with that they think have value and can teach and can challenge you, and uh, they're out of Baltimore. I met I I actually pitched Bruce Sports, the uh, he's the publisher at a uh, at a convention and and he was interested and that that was how we first made contact. Mhm. Well, and there's the thing you were talking about that process. It's always really uh, comforting when you have an editor that gets your writing and understands it, but also is not afraid to ask the really tough questions. I'm sure you went through plenty of that. Plenty of that. <laughs> yes, and that's right. I mean, it, it does result in a better pro- better product, and that's what that's what you have. You have to sort of I had to sort of uh, put my ego mm-hmm. down a little bit, you know, and, and realize oh, yeah. that, that that the publisher and the editors were also invested in this and also had value in the in in the process and and, get, and brought value to the to the process. So that was a learning process for me. <laughs> it it is, and it's one of those things where you you really do have to put your ego on the bench and. You feel like, you know, you've spent so long writing this book and, oh, it's the best thing ever. And then back come <laughs> the smackdown. Here, here, comes the, yeah. here comes the questions. Here comes the grammatical issues. Here comes the why did this person do this kind of thing. And yeah. <laughs> it's, it's one of those things where you really do have to just sort of – you can't disassociate yourself from your work. But emotionally, you have to step back and look at it and be like, oh, wow, they're right. You know, and – and yeah, and once you get over that, once you get past that first step, then you it's like it's almost like a relief because now you can talk to other people about this, and you know they're on you, you know they're on your side. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better. 
Yeah. Well, tell me now, you were just saying that there's going to be, you're working on another one. What is next for you and uh, what is this new project? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm writing a novel. I've been at it for, I guess, a little over a year. I, I'm probably deep into the second draft. Um, it all started uh, when I heard a, an interview of uh, Elon Musk about um, mm -hmm. a project he's involved with called, uh, I think it's called Neuralink, which is mm -hmm. um, this, you know, putting, being able to put wire, uh, this wire mesh in the back of one's brain and con connect up, be, it has the capability of co connecting you up to digital information directly. So, there's, mm -hmm. so it's a cyborg type of experience. And he's, Moving right along with this, you know, I mean, it blew my mind. You know, it was like very—I uh, I was just uh, speechless when I heard him talking about it. But um, it sort of got me thinking about um, about a lot of things, and 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 the book is more or less about you know two cyborgs with this type of technology in the not distant future, and it is a dystopian future. And how can you not write about dystopia in this day and age? But that's a different topic. Um, uh, but, you know, there's one cyborg who has had this, these treatments across the full range of his brain, or his full range of emotional uh, capabilities. And, but he's, he's cut, his, his training is cut short because of he's, he's forced to flee and, um, because the government's after him. And that's the whole another thing. And, and then there's this other cyborg who was, who's, whose training is, is focused on aggression, on, on becoming militarized. And so, so the, the first cyborg is forced to flee and, and continue his education or his training outside the laboratory. And, and so he's experiencing the world with these extended capabilities. And, and so, and, and then he, these two cyborgs meet and it's sort of, their relationship and also the background of of what the all-encompassing cyborg is doing for rebel groups. So anyway, it's sort of more dystopian, you know, or Orwellian, um, mm -hmm. uh, sci-fi-ish, uh, but but it's also building on some some ideas from Bountiful Calling, um, and, and and I've heard. And the notion that the paradigm that I'm suggesting at the end of Bountiful Calling doesn't really have room for heroes and superheroes. And, and so I'm questioning that, you know, you know cause, cause the, because I think they, there's a possibility for that type of storytelling within that paradigm of, of relationship. So... So I don't know if that's clear at all, but those are all the things I'm working on and uh, with the book, and it's 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 coming along. I'm feeling good about it. All right, very cool. Well, listen, uh, I wish you the best of luck on the new project, and uh, also for the success of Bountiful Calling. And uh, Fred, thank you so much for being along. I really appreciate it today. Um, thanks for you know just a, a great conversation and great questions. I really appreciate. You know uh, your, your, you know your your focus and uh, and and what you brought to the conversation. And one last question: Where can we find your books? Ah, yeah, right, exactly. Um, the books are on um, uh, Amazon and uh, uh, the old ones, 
and, and both and, and um, Gospel Calling is also on Barnes and Noble. And if you have any questions or if you'd like to learn more about my work, uh, I do have a website called uh, fredfburton.com. So feel free to take a look at that and, and reach out to me if you care to. All right. Thank you again, Fred. Really appreciate your time. Likewise. Thank you, Tori. Thanks. Appreciate it. Our guest on the Brown Posey Press Show today was Fred Burton. He is the author of Bountiful Calling on Bancroft Press. His other works include Below and Above and The Old Songs. I'm your host, Tori Gates, author of the Brown Posey Press release, Searching for Roy Buchanan, part of the Sweet Dream series. The sequel, Call It Love, is set for release later in 2020. This is the Book Speak Network. Thank you.